And we go back one more week to this old story in Luke chapter 15. It's such an incredibly glorious story about the grace of God and about that young man who went away and then he came back home. And to his great surprise, his father embraced him and, and threw that party. And so that's where we are this morning. We've been talking about having a spiritual awakening. And we've been talking about alarms that come in our life, like happened with this young man. And, and, and sometimes, you know, we can have all the alarms that, that, that want to go off in the mornings. And then finally, you know, someone's going to have to yell at us. You know, it's just time to get up. And that's our theme today. It's time to get up. You know, you know, sometimes you can hit the snooze button over and over again, and you need someone to tell you, you know, get up. Do something. It's time to take action. We've been looking at spiritual awakening, and we, we, we finished the formula of how a spiritual awakening happens. Let, let me just write that down if you're taking notes. It starts with awareness. The young man came to his senses. He's in the middle of that pigsty, and he comes to his senses. So it always starts with an awareness that something is just not quite right in my life. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. And then it led to honesty. He was willing to say to the Father, you know, say to his Father, say to his Heavenly Father, say to himself. He said to himself, you know what I mean? I have sinned. It comes to that moment of just blatant honesty. And then here's where we get to today. The third and final step is to come to a moment of action. You're aware, you're honest about it, and then you do something about it. You know, that may be the most important point of the story. When finally the young man says, I'll tell you what I need to do. I need to get up. I need to go home. I need to do something. In our own story... You know, needs to be marked by that moment, no matter what has happened in your life, where it says, he got up, she got up. I, I like the story of this little girl, she gets uh, dressed for church. I mean, it's back when people really, really put on the show for church, and she's got a beautiful, frilly dress on, and her mom's dressed her just perfectly, you know. Earlier that morning, she had spilt milk on one dress, and they had to change, so it had been sort of a long morning. But finally, they're getting to church, and she opens the door, and they're walking down the sidewalk, and the little girl, not paying attention, stumbles over her own two feet, and she lands in a puddle of mud. And so this beautiful, frilly white dress has got mud all over it, and mom's disgusted. It's been a long morning. Little girl's done everything wrong. And so she finally looks down at her and says, what are you going to do next? And I like the little girl's response, I'm going to get up. Well, guys, that's what we're talking about today, that point in your life where you say, you know what, it is just simply time to take some action and to get up. Now, I've been so excited lately to see people that are taking some action. I've seen many of you who have not been in a life group for years, who've gotten back into a group. You saw the announcements of those people who've been baptized over the last few days and how exciting that is. Now, I heard about one of our young married men who was out at a, a sporting event with lots of his friends. And he had too much to drink. And he knew it and he confessed it to God. But then here's what I love. He took the action. Everybody he knew was around there. He sent an email to saying, you know what? This is not who I want to be. I'm sorry I was that way in front of you. That's action. 
I love the small group I was in this week with a bunch of college students, and we were at that point where so many of us had great life groups this week of, of just really practicing the biblical idea of confession and healing. And so we were going around, and this young man began to confess about an issue he had with an app that was on his phone that led him in some directions he didn't need to be in. And so he confessed, this app gets me in trouble. And I, I, I loved, I was sort of shocked, it almost sounded rude, but the young man across the way, as that guy held his phone up, says, well, why don't you take the app off right now? And I wish I knew how to do it as quickly as he did, but it only took a few little pushes, you know, and the app was gone. That's the kind of action we need. And that's the kind of action that we see in this young son who gets up and he goes. You see, let's be honest here. We often get stuck between honesty and action. Honesty is one thing. Action is a different thing. Let's just be practical about everyday life. Maybe you come to that point of honesty where it, it, it's fall and you, you, you just tried on a pair of jeans you wore last year and you couldn't button them. And you have that moment of awareness and you even say you need to do something about it. Or, or maybe, you know, you're watching, um, you're outside playing with your kids. You're throwing ball with them this fall. And you're out of breath so quickly and you have that moment of honesty that, you know what, I've got to let myself go all out of shape. Or maybe you're sitting at the TV watching Sports Center, guys, and um, Sports Center's over and the WNBA starts and you don't even have the energy to get up and go get the remote across the room to change the channel. I mean, you come to that moment of awareness, you know, that I've let myself get out of shape. I've let myself put on some weight. And then maybe you get to that moment of honesty where you go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you need to lose some weight. This is bad for your health. Or or maybe you just got on the scales. You finally were brave enough to step on top of them. You had the moment of awareness and of honesty. But the question is, the next morning, are you willing to get up an hour early to exercise? Are you willing to eat less when you go to the food buffet, you know, and everybody at work is just pigging out? That's the question, and that's where we get tripped up. We're able to come to a moment of honesty, but the question is, can we come to a moment of action? There's a really scary study done by John Hopkins University. It was about people who have open-heart surgery. They come to a point of, of honesty that they know they've got bad heart disease, And then they even have the surgery. And the article written by a a Dr. Edward Miller called Change or Die studied people over years after their bypass surgery. And here's what they found out. Within two years, 90% of those who had coronary bypass surgery had not changed their lifestyle. As scary as that would be. And that shows us the problem we face. And spiritually, you and I, it's easy to come to a point of honesty. It's more difficult, isn't it, to come to a point of action? Let me give you some reasons I think we don't come to a point of action, okay, if you're taking notes. What slows us down? First of all, is sometimes we're presumptive. We presume that honesty means life change. That confession means change. We're we're presumptive about that. 
We, we, we have that, that moment of awareness, you know, and we have that moment when we say to God, God, man, I've blown it. That's nice. That's good. The Bible says confession is good for the soul. Maybe even we come forward in church. That's one of the beautiful things about this church are the people that are willing to come and to be just blatantly honest and confess. And the Bible says we are to confess our sins to one another. Or maybe you finally went to your life group and you admitted it, you know, before the group, I've got this problem with this, this app that's getting me in trouble. It's, it's, it's easy to, to get there. And let's be honest, we get presumptive that, that those feelings equal action. It feels good when you've held something in for a long time, as scary as it may be, to finally admit it to a brother or sister. It just flat feels good, and it gives you a great feeling that you came before the church, and the church prayed for you, and people hugged you, and they affirmed you, and that's the way it ought to be. But sometimes we make a bad presumption that that feeling means we've actually changed. The confession means things are different in my life. And so we presume that. And it's not always true. Listen, my friends, feelings aren't always equal or the same as actions. We live in a very feeling-oriented culture. I just feel better about it, okay? You feel better about it. You've been honest about it. You, you said you've got that problem. Did you take the app off your phone? You, you said you need to lose the weight. Did you start exercising? You said you needed to start reading your Bible and being closer to God. Did you read your Bible? You said before the church that you'd become lukewarm. Have you taken steps to, get, to gain fire for God? See, we, we, sometimes presumptiveness bothers us. Sometimes it's just plain passiveness. We're just passive about life. We just let life come and go. We live in a society where we are used to watching action. We're perfectly comfortable watching hours of home improvement shows, right? And then we get up to get our glass of water from a leaky faucet. You done that? Oh, we love watching The Biggest Loser. That's a pretty inspiring story while we eat our deep dish pizza, you know? We're used as a a culture of of watching things and being passive about real action. There's great examples of this in the Bible. Eli, who was a priest in the tabernacle of God, was warned over and over about his two sons. Who were, I mean, despite the fact that Eli was a righteous man, his two boys were ripping people off who came in the temple and and, and find an excuse to, to lay in bed with women who came. I mean, they were awful. And Eli was warned over and over again, but he was that, he was that passive parent. Oh, every once in a while, he might say a few words to his sons, but, but nothing ever changed. And the story ends up awful. And Eli even says this line that is so, sounds so spiritual, but it's really not. He's God, let him do what's best. I mean, he's God, he's sovereign, he's in control. Let him do what he needs to do with my boys. And his boys were an absolute abomination. Sounded spiritual, sounded like something had changed, but he never took action to get his boys under control. It sounded submissive, but it was actually passive. He knew what God wanted. There was no 
doubt about that, but he wouldn't act. Sometimes, guys, we, we've just become so passive about life. Just whatever happens, happens, you know. Sometimes we even use spiritual words to justify it. Lord, you're sovereign, you're in control. If you really want this to change, it'll change. And sometimes God's saying, yes, I am. I am sovereign, I am God, but I have called you to get up and make a difference. I've called you to do something. And then another way that we often get hooked up between honesty and and action is we just procrastinate. We just put off the pain. We put off, you know, losing the pleasure. I mean, the Bible is honest enough to say to us that sin is pleasurable. And so we want to keep the pleasure going despite the fact it might be wrecking my marriage, despite the fact that it might be wrecking my health. And so we just put it off and we put it off and we put it off. We ought to, we ought to learn something from Luke 19 verse 8. That wee little man Zacchaeus who was an absolute ripoff king. He was not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. In our terms, he was the Bernie Madoff of our day. And yet when he meets Jesus, listen to what he says. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. He doesn't procrastinate, he takes action. And then here's another way we get we get hooked up, and that's we're just pessimistic. We know there's change that needs to happen in our life. There are things we don't like, we, things we know are not godly, but the, we think the kids are too old. We think our marriage is too broken. The debt is too overwhelming. The addiction seems too powerful. My life seems too messed up. They're just pessimistic about it. I just, you know, I, I think maybe change could happen for you and your family, but I'm not so sure that change could actually happen in my family. I've, I've actually tried before and it didn't work. It just, seems, it just seems to be too late for me. You know, there's a great little story in the Bible that we debate and miss the point. And that's the story of the thief on the cross. We get so hooked up debating the guy being baptized or not, that we forget the point of the story is that it's never too late to come to God. There's never a reason to be so pessimistic that you think your life could not be turned around. And then one more reason we get stopped between honesty and action. No, that's the four reasons I want to give those four reasons. Look over them again with me just for a second. We get to be presumptive, We just presume feelings equal actions. We're passive. We procrastinate. We're pessimistic. Now, let's let's think about this for a second. Let me ask you this morning, for you to have awakening in your life, we've talked about being aware. We've talked about being honest. The question this morning is, what action do you need to take, do I need to take? Do you need to put down the cell phone and actually talk to your wife? You need to put down the PlayStation and have a devotional with your children. Do you need to put down the nine iron and get involved with helping the poor? Is it time to put down your iPad and have meaningful conversations? Is it time to cut off the TV and eat dinner around the table? 
It's time to do something. And that's the great point about our story here. The young son did not get stuck. He got up. That's the challenge for us is we've got to get up. Now, here's the, here's the, the crazy thing about the story we're studying. Is, is after the son gets up and after he comes home, and like we saw in the little cute video, man, the party begins. We, we would love that to be the end of the story, Right? I mean, it, it seems like at that point we ought to just say, in our words, they lived happily ever after. But then the story takes a very dramatic turn. I, I'd like you to open your Bible with me, if you would, back, back to Luke chapter 15. And let's look what happens in this story. Now, first, to really understand it, we need to see what happened before the story, and then we need to see what happens at the end of the story. Let's set up the story, because, listen, guys, The story was not really to wild people. It's got a great point to those of us who've walked away and and, and lived the way we should, but that really wasn't Jesus' audience. Look at Luke 15, 1 and 2. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the law, teachers of religious law, complain that he was associated with sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus is getting some criticism here. What's the criticism? You are hanging out with the wrong people. We are the spiritually godly people. We are the do-gooders. You ought to be with us and not with these people. And that's why Jesus tells this parable. And that's why he ends the parable. Look at Luke chapter 15, verse, verse 25 with me. And watch what happens at the end of the story. Here's where the story takes a dramatic turn. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working... When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He's not very happy about this. He's a member of the Church of Christ. Okay? And he hears this music and dancing. He knows he's got to straighten this out. And he asked one of the servers what was going on. He said, your brother's back, he was told, and your father's killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother, the older brother was angry and wouldn't, he wouldn't go in. I love that little boy pouting in the video a little while ago. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that you never gave me even one young goat or a feast for my friends. And when this son of yours, not when my brother comes home. When this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Now Jesus tells this story Not just to tell us if you've wandered far away, you can come home. But to say to the Pharisees, you got a problem yourself that you don't see. You're all upset about me hanging out with these people when the honest truth is your life's not right with God. Now think a moment with me with the differences of these two boys, all right? First of all, the young son was lost away from home. The older son was lost at home, okay? Maybe this is a better way of putting it. The young son was lost being bad. 
the old son was lost being good. You say, how's that possible? My friends, you can seek to keep all the rules and have a bad heart. You can be lost, guys, out living wildly. And you can be lost at church living self-righteously. Oh, you're doing everything right, and you look down your nose at anybody, and somebody comes back into church, and you know they've squandered the last 10 years, and you think, wow, we got to watch that person. And maybe you could put it this way. You can be lost by rebellion, or you can be lost by arrogance. It's a pretty good contrast here. Now, here's the bottom line. Both are lost. The young son is rebellion, the old son in his arrogance. And guys, I think this says something to us. Now, I know I'm walking into a little bit of a controversial service, uh, um, a controversial subject right now. And that is the question is, can you lose your salvation? I know some of you disagree with me. I do think it's possible. I don't think it's probable. I don't think it's near as easy as I used to think it was. I don't think you're lost and saved and lost and saved and lost and saved. But I think this parable reveals some things that Scripture teaches. First of all, you can be lost by rebellion. If you have your Bible, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Just look there just for a moment with me. Oh, excuse me, go, go um, Second Peter, I meant. Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 20. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. Wow. It would have been better for them not to have, ne- to have never known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They proved the truth of this proverb, a dog returns its vomit. Another said, a washed pig returns to the mud. What's he saying? Here's someone who came to the Lord, knew the Lord, and who rebelliously walks away. And the Bible says they're worse off than they were at the beginning. And so you can be lost by rebellion. You can also be lost by arrogance. Those are the two ways, it seems to me. Rebellious sin where you say, God, I don't care what you want. I want what I want. Give me my money and let me go party. Or you can be lost like this arrogant brother who stays at home, goes to church every Sunday, and thinks he earns his own righteousness. Let me show you another passage on that one. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 4, Paul's writing this whole book of Galatians to people who are wanting to go back to the law to be justified for their salvation. They're saying Jesus is not enough. You need to keep the legal requirements of the law. Verse 4, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. For if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. You can't fall away from something that you're not in. So there's two ways, one by rebellion and one by arrogance. 
But understand this. Here's the point of this awesome parable. Both are lost. And so maybe this message is as much for the Pharisees among us as it is for the wild ones. You see, here's the good news. Here's the good news from the story. The son got up. He got up, he went home, he was honest, and he's restored to full sonship. Here's even better news as we conclude the story. The father got up. When the young son comes down the road, the father chases after him. And don't miss this one either. When the old brother is bitter and angry, the father doesn't leave him outside by himself. The father leaves the party and goes after him too. He loves the older son as much as he loved the younger son. And what you want to got to see here is we have a God who comes after us. Will he force us? No. But he will come after us over and over and over again. The father got up. But here's where the story throws us for a loop. And it was meant to by Jesus. There is no conclusion. We don't know what the older brother did. All we've got is a question mark. After the father goes after him, the Bible says the father begged him. He pleaded with him to come in and join the party. The story abruptly ends. Why? First of all, because Jesus' audience then, he wanted the Pharisees at the end of this story to know he was talking about them and the ball was in their court. Would they come to him or not? Would they go to the father who had chased after them so much that he had sent his son to die for them? Or would they continue to rebel in their sin or to rebel in their arrogance? The story ended for his audience then to say, what will you do? And it concludes for our audience today with the same question. What will you do? Will you get up? The end of the story is not here. It's not been written. You have the opportunity to write that story. So when are you going to get up and end that relationship that you know God wants to end? When are you going to start being generous the way you know the Lord has called you to be generous? When are you going to go make that relationship right that you know that you blew? When are you going to join that Bible study group or that life group that you've talked about for a long time and put it off? When are you going to start spiritually leading your family? When are you going to talk to your co-workers about Christ? Who will you invite this week to Friend Day with a great opportunity in front of us? When are you going to do something about that social justice cause that gets you so upset on the news and you need to do something? When are you going to invite your neighbor to church? When are you going to go, not just confess you've got an addiction issue, but actually go join a support group like RSVP to help you? You see, that's the question. What 
will you do? That's how the story ends. And that's how our series ends. What are you going to do? Hopefully, over the last few weeks, you know, we've become more aware of some of the things in our life that aren't the way they ought to be. That's good. That's a great first step. Second, hopefully, either publicly or privately or in your small group, you've been honest and you've confessed and you've had the healing power of confession. That's a great next step. But don't get tripped up here. The final step for spiritual awakening is action. You are going to do something. As we were talking about alarms the last few weeks and phone alarms, I did hear about this really cool app. It's not called Wake Up. It's called Walk Up. And here's the idea. When your alarm on your phone goes off, it will not stop going off until you have taken so many steps. Isn't that a good one? So, so you can't just cut it off. You can't just put it on snooze. You've got to actually get up out of bed, take your phone, and walk a few steps. You have got to do something. That would wake us up, wouldn't it? And, and this morning, as we conclude this message, maybe what you need to do to mark this is to take a few steps this morning. Maybe you need to, you know, the last few weeks, it sort of hit you, you know, revival starts in the house of God. We talk about revival, we're not talking about all the folks out here. Next week in Friend Day, we're gonna try to reach as many of those people as we possibly can. Amen to that. But, but right now, what revival needs to begin, where awakening needs to happen, where it always happens, is with the people of God. It may be for you to wake up, you need to walk up. And so today we're about to have a prayer time, and we'd love to pray for you. Maybe you need to come share before the church, not only where you've blown it, but maybe what you need to share with the church or maybe your life group or a friend is the action that you're going to take this week to change it. Because listen, if all we do is become aware and all we do is confess and we don't get to action, we will not have complete awakening. Can you imagine what could happen in your life today if you'd come to this God, this Father, who comes after you, who if he sees you take a step today, I'm telling you what he'd do, he will run to embrace you. Whether you're the rebellious person that's got lost in sin or you're the arrogant person that's got lost with your own self-righteousness, he's coming after you. The question is, will you take some steps toward him? Will you wake up? If you need to, why don't you come right now while we all stand and sing?